We continue our series this morning, and I want to read from the same passage that we'll be looking at for a couple more weeks, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 through 4. I want to read it for us in the New English Translation Version. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has chosen me. He has commissioned me to encourage the poor, to help the brokenhearted, to decree the release of captives and the freeing of prisoners, to announce the year when the Lord will show his favor, the day when our God will seek vengeance to console all who mourn, to strengthen those who mourn in Zion by giving them a turban instead of ashes, oil symbolizing joy instead of mourning, a garment symbolizing praise instead of discouragement, They will be called oaks of righteousness, trees planted by the Lord to reveal his splendor. They will rebuild the perpetual ruins and restore the places that were desolate. They will reestablish the ruined cities, the places that have been desolate since ancient times. The word of the Lord. Again, my name is Peter, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I have had a really, really full week. I've experienced so many areas of church life and ministry this week, and I come to you spinning a little bit and a little bit just sort of adrenaline in my systems. Uh, Part of me feels uh, distracted. A part of me feels excited. And uh, it's been just such a full, full week. And it was a reminder to me uh, that I am part of the life of this church. You all belong to a church. And uh, I spent this week here thinking about our church and what it is. What is the best gift that I can offer uh, to this church, and I really want to do that. And uh, I recalled here that I was brought to do the work of uh, revitalization several years ago. Uh, this church entered into a intentional assessment process uh, called Congregational Vitality, which was a initial workshop to help the church to start asking really candid and honest and piercing questions about how this church was doing. And one of the things that the church decided to do was to change the title for the position that I hold from senior pastor to lead pastor. They said, you know, we really need some strong leadership, somebody who will lead us in the area of change. Our church, they identified, needs to change. And they wanted somebody who will not just be a pastoral presence, but who will be a uh, leader type of person. Uh, and they also said, we want somebody who will preach. And uh, they, I, by that, I thought they meant preach long. Uh, turns out, preach well and preach long are not necessarily the same things. And lucky for this church, you really get both. Um, They said that uh, they wanted uh, an an edgy person, somebody who was connected to culture, somebody who had church planting in their blood because they identify that somebody who has experience in church planting uh, would bring some of the uh, evangelistic 
components that uh, the lead pastor needed to have. They wanted the pastor to be, uh, have a young family. And one of the search team members even uh, wrote out, they want this person uh, to be, um, just have lots of cultural experiences. And so maybe urban or maybe connected to a military family or uh, somebody who was able to sort of navigate uh, cultures. And so, lo and behold, they found the perfect person, but they said no. So they got me, and I'm so glad to be here, guys. And uh, they've asked me to honor the past while leading the church into the future. I love that vision. That's partly why I said yes to this call, because I came and I saw that all the uh, I was going to say gray hairs or old people, but I meant wisdom and <laughs> faithfulness and legacy. And I saw the potential for what we can build here because we are so uh, physically situated in such a strategic place. And I recognize that the, the growth that uh, Seattle is experiencing There is so much ministry potential here in this church. And so for the next two Sundays, I want us to think about how to really layer on a solid system of ministry here in our church. And I think it's vital that we understand this because the work that Jesus was commissioned to do that we just read about, the work of setting the prisoners free, Announcing the favor of the Lord, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen because I stand up here and say it's happened. But we we really have to sort of connect to individuals and their individual lives. Sort of do hand-to-hand combat. Otherwise, individual hearts cannot be changed. And individuals don't experience the work that Jesus was commissioned to do. So we have to do the work of what the scriptures call ministry. We have to do that as a church. Uh, I was uh, a panel speaker at a uh, Fuller Seminary uh, church planting workshop uh, sort of deal. And the main speaker there, he's a professor at Fuller. And uh, he made this comment, assuming that everybody was into church planting there and not knowing that I was part of a revitalization work. He said, I made this bold statement. He said, revitalization is absolutely impossible. That's what he said. And then afterwards, when I was introducing myself as one of the panel speakers, I said, I'm still trying to get over what the speaker said because that's the work I'm doing. I just give you a, a little hope and heads up here. Uh, you're going to hear today, and you heard last week, that we have been uh, struggling financially at the church. Uh, we're uh, well below the, um, the budget that we've set for ourselves, which we thought was reasonable. Uh, but uh, we're not meeting it. But here's an encouraging thing. It's been happening every year. <laughs> so it's normal, in a way. But here's the other encouraging thing. Uh, Though we have decreased in the amount that folks are giving, we've increased the number of people giving. And so if you talk to any any organization or person, they'll tell you that's a really healthy thing that's happening. This past Easter, uh, our attendance was at 536 on Easter Sunday. 
That's a really amazing thing that's happening. If you look around and you sort of uh, throw a stone in any direction, you'll hit somebody who didn't know that our church used to be called Mercer Island Covenant Church because they're just new. They only know us as Evergreen. The kids' ministry, the youth ministry, the new families, there is a lot of amazing things that are happening. I'm not sure I'm ready to say we're done revitalizing yet. We still have a lot of work to do. We really have a lot of work to do. But my confidence that we're going to do it is really high. And I talked with the professor afterwards, and I asked him to explain to me. And he sort of, you know, uh, backed off a bit. And he said, oh, I was really just trying to value church planting. And uh, I said something to him like, you know, it is easier to give birth than to raise the dead. But if you raise the dead, God gets way more glory. <laughs> so um, look at these four words, missions, ministry, management, and multi-blank. Uh, I engaged in a... Uh, strategic planning process with the help of uh, several of you here in this church. And uh, the four sort of ideas that came to me uh, that we need to continue to press into over, these next, over this next season of ministry at our church are missions, ministry, management, and multi. What I mean by that is this. Missions, uh, our church has a rich history of being engaged in global engagement. Work cross-culturally. And I would really like that baton to be passed to the newer and younger generations of folks in our church. Kevin Swanson, when he was here and he was putting together a new team, uh, he put together a wonderful team who cares about this ministry a lot. But we need about two or three more people on this team, and we need them to be younger folks. Okay, we need people in their 40s, 30s, and 20s to say, I want to carry the torch for my generation in this value. And if that doesn't happen, it's slowly going to uh, uh, become a weak ministry in our church. And I would really like to not see that happen. I myself am a product of global engagement. I was not born in this country. I was born in South Korea, which is predominantly Presbyterian. Almost every single person who's a Christian is Presbyterian, even if they're Pentecostal, even if they're Methodist, because the very first missionaries are all Presbyterian. And so even these other denominations that were layered on in Korea, they were layered on on top of Presbyterianism. And so uh, I have that in my blood, and I have churches like this who sent missionaries out. It's the reason I stand before you today. And so I really want to advocate for this ministry. I've made a decision to give uh, my, throw my weight into it. So I'll be helping to lead uh, this ministry along with the team in this next season. So I want to invite anybody. If you just hear a little voice today, if you have a little inkling, we need you uh, to care about this ministry. Okay, second, ministry. Uh, we uh, went through a... Uh, 
sort of a, a restructuring phase in our church. Uh, contrary to uh, popular belief, it's not I who initiated that work. I inherited that. It's part of the work that you guys are already doing with John Peterson, who was an interim pastor that preceded me. And uh, we went from an elder model to a leadership team model, which is the most recommended uh, leadership team uh, governance model for covenant churches. And uh, we did that because it allows us to do greater ministry. It's less bottlenecked. But it relies on ministry leaders and ministry teams. And so we are now ready to uh, turn our attention and energy to setting up ministry leaders and ministry teams. So if you look in your bulletin, we've listed, I think that's about 80 to 85% of the ministry teams where we need leadership uh, and team participation. Please look through that and check boxes off and let me know, uh, let us know that you want to participate in helping the people in our church and in our community to experience the ministry of Jesus Christ for which he was commissioned and now for which he commissions you. Okay? And then the third thing is management. Uh, there is a management culture in our church. And what happens when a church is 70 years old is it layers on a lot of administration. Because you think about what administration is. It's a lot of rules, a lot of policies. And you know why churches that are older tend to have more of them? Because more people have gone through the system and more people have made mistakes. They have more experience, so they have more rules. But what happens at some point is there's a tension between mission and management, mission and institution. And if the management aspect begins to outweigh the mission aspect, then we become too stable and not catalytic enough. And so part of the revitalization process is cleaning up some of the management policies and structures that we have put into place. It's saying, let's not punish all of the new ministry leaders and staff for all of the mistakes that have been made over 70 years. You know, so for example, if you call to uh, reserve a room at our church because you want to have a prayer meeting, we may not get back to you for three days. Do you know why? Because you first have to call and talk to our front office manager who has to look at the church calendar who is managing over 30 groups or random individuals that are renting space or using space in this building. And then we have to make sure who's going to open the door, who's going to lock the door, who's going to set up what chairs, who's going to take down what, who's going to do the cleanup, make sure there's no conflict with other groups. And by the time all of that is done, it's going to be two or three days before you get, we get back to you. Just a small example. You know, I'm part of a church planning culture where if we wanted to use them, we just show up. And somebody brings food, and then we all clean up. And then sometimes when the next group comes, the door is not what it was supposed to be. The chairs are sometimes not where they're supposed to be, but we just lived with it. Here are our expectations for how this building is used. It's a little bit different. Just a random example, but there's a lot of management in this church that we have to think through. And how do we improve that and help balance that out better? 
And I think a lot of it is willingness to be more relational. And then the, fi- and the final thing is multi. Look around this room right now. I would say there's about, uh, in this service, I would say maybe there is 15 to 20% non-white in this church room right now. That was not the case before. I can see that in my older daughter, Emmeline's class, if I look at her class picture, uh, it's maybe uh, 30% non-white. But if I look at my kindergartner's class picture, it's like 50 to 60% non-white. Our world, the world around us is changing. And on top of that, we want to do multi-generational uh, two years ago, this church is 60% off-island. And so we have people coming to us. We're not just a local church. We are a regional church. That's partly why we changed the name, to communicate to the people around us that we're not just for Mercer Island folks, though we are located here. And I want to ask the question, How? Can we do that better? How can we be more intentional and grow in awareness about the multi-aspect of our church? Okay, so these are the four M's. I want to go back to uh, ministry uh, for a little bit here. Uh, One of the uh, insights that I gained as I was going through the strategic planning process Uh, was that we may be living in a time where there has been a cultural shift uh, to uh, what I would call an opt-in culture. There was a time in our society when Christianity was more legitimate and church life was legitimate where society itself sort of operated out of uh, mentality uh, that used to be called Christendom. Christendom simply means uh, that we are a Christian society. So there are assumptions that we make about our society, and those assumptions were uh, based around the fact that a lot of people were Christians. And so the church got priority and place in society. So, for example, sporting events, they were aware that lots of their kids go to churches. And so they would think twice and thrice about holding an event Sunday mornings because they didn't want to interfere with people's lives. Right? And people used to come to church 50 weeks a year because this is what they did. Church was part of their life. Now, let me ask you, do you think that's still true? No. The culture has shifted. We live in what I would call an opt-in culture. Church now is one of the options in their life. It's one of the good things in their life. It's one of the areas that they want to give of themselves to and give money to and be a part of. But if they want to have a spiritual experience, now they have access to so much more information, which leads to a broader life. So they can go on a hike to hear from God and not necessarily listen to a sermon. And if they want to listen to a sermon, they don't have to come to church. They can just... Open their phone. 
And so the way we access spirituality, the way we think about community, we aren't the only friends that we have. I think I may have like 900 friends or something on Facebook. And if I want to share, I don't have to meet with you or come to church. I just share on Facebook. And then hundreds of people may like what I shared and give me a thumbs up and interact with me about the pictures I posted or the feeling I had. We are living in an opt-in culture. If you, just a couple of examples here as it pertains to church. It is wicked hard to get RSVPs to church events. If you ask any event organizer in our church, ask them if they get RSVPs to events that they're organizing, that they were asked to organize. Three people will RSVP, and then 15 may show up, but they don't want to commit. How many times have you said to somebody, oh my gosh, it's so great to run into you. We should get together sometime. What percentage of that comment leads to a get-together? I have found, actually, that it's better to just call them up the day of and say, hey, we have this big old pot of chili we just made. Do you want to come over for dinner? And they usually say yes. But to get them to commit, very difficult. But we give them the option to opt in, they just might. If you ask leaders, staff, volunteers, what's one of their hardest aspects of their job? It's volunteer management, recruitment and management. One of the things we're finding is that it's hard to get people to commit to leading ministries because they fear getting left holding the bag. They would like to sort of show up maybe and maybe participate and maybe just consume, maybe even just attend, but to lead, it's really hard. On top of this opt-in culture, we have a very consumeristic culture. That was one of the things I noticed when I was over at the, uh, with the church in Nicaragua. People don't come to church and start making decisions about how they feel about things and what they prefer. and They, don't, they just don't have that thought at all. Because they're, they're not quite caught up to our consumeristic culture yet. We put ourselves in the seat of judges all the time. That's what I do. I rate products. I rate people. I rate churches. It's just in my thinking. It's just what I do. I rate. And then if I put a good review, sometimes the, uh, I get rewarded for it. Amazon asked me just to write a review for my dog leash. It wasn't a great dog leash. So I said, it's not a great dog leash. The president of the company emailed me. And asked me if they can send me a new dog leash. This just happened this week. How? How do we do church ministry in this opt-in culture? How can we build church? How can we carry on the mission of Jesus in our day and age? And I want to suggest to you that this is actually a positive trend. This is part of the flattening of our world. It's part of the priesthood of all believers where the the ministry of Jesus and the presence of God and the words of God and truths are not just bottlenecked through some random preacher like me. 
There's a way that we can access and connect to the work of Jesus and the presence of Jesus, not just through the church, not just through me, but it's kind of becoming more flat. It's more accessible. But it's up to us to reimagine God in this culture. You can be somebody who judges the culture and tries to throw it all out and reject it wholesale. Or you can ask the question, what is the Spirit doing? How can I participate in the work that God is doing in this culture? And that's the process I want to invite you to. Asking the question, how do we belong to one another here? As Jesus hung on the cross in John chapter 19, Jesus looks down from the cross. He looks at his mother. He looks at his disciple, John. And he says to John, John, this woman, she's yours now. And he says to the woman, woman, this man, he's yours now. Belong to one another. And church was formed by Jesus from the cross as he died. Belong to one another. Be church. Do ministry to each other because this is why I'm hanging on the cross. This is why I'm dying. And when we formulize this way of belonging to one another, that's what we call church. That's what this meeting is about today. And the scriptures teach that we should never stop gathering But we do have to ask, how do we function as a gathered community? It's not what it used to be. I want to give you just a a couple of sentences here. And next week, I'm going to spend the whole sermon. And I think I'm going to get um, some extra grace from you guys because it's just one service. And so maybe I can go a little longer next week. Uh, We have the two and a half to half hat rule. We ask everybody in our church to wear at least half a hat. Do something. Do something to bear the name of Christ. Do something in Jesus' name, very explicitly in Jesus' name. Just half a hat. That's like just a couple of hours a week. If you're a a website guy or if you have creative genes, we have stuff you can do. If you're a tech person, if you're a people person, if you're an administrative person, whatever it is, we have stuff we need help with. Okay, that's one way to think about it. Another way to think about it is we don't want you to enable the other people to not do ministry. We need everybody to wear at least half a hat. But we want you to champion whatever it is that you are taking on. Help other people. Facilitate the ministry for other people. I'll go into that next week. Here's something that was so helpful to me for all of us very, very busy people. Just because you spend time doesn't mean you're more productive. Do you know what has greater impact than time? It's focused energy. So I can spend an hour with my kids, but if, not, if I'm not attentive to them, I haven't helped shape their life. I haven't helped inject love into them. But if I spend 10 minutes but I look at them in the eyes and I'm intently listening to who they are and what they're saying. And I give output from that focus. That's more formative and more impactful than a whole hour where we're just sort of doing parallel play. And so don't equate serving in church with time. 
You can literally give just 30 minutes to the church and have a huge impact for our church. Okay? Uh, Lastly, my formula for ministry is need plus leader equals ministry. Sometimes it's not a legitimate need. It's not clearly defined. Or it's just an idea. Or it's just an ideal. But it's not really a need, felt need. And so the ministry doesn't take off. Or the need is valid, but we don't have a leader for it. So it's not sustainable or quality drops. If we want ministry to persist in a life-giving, sustainable way, we need clearly defined real needs, and we need good leadership. And I'll go more into that next week. And so for now, what I want to ask you to do is look through your uh, paper that you have in your bulletin packet. You don't have it? Oh, okay. They're out there. I'm sorry about that. There was a little miscommunication. Um, So grab one, please, and know, uh, and just look through that and think about the ministries that you can be connected to. Yesterday, we had a memorial service at our church for little Daniel Riley, who passed after just a couple of hours of living. And it was a very tragic yet sacred moment that we had together as a church. Uh, My small group had our very first meeting on Friday, and it was really, really fun getting to know new people. We, we shared a lot of laughter together, and people started opening up their life stories to one another. Uh, there were people that I uh, uh, worked with this week to continue to work out the issues with the budget and the parsonage. Uh, I also spent some time visiting Ken Lotus, who is very ill and uh, We spent time praying together, and instead of me just praying for him, I had him lay his hand on me and pray for me. And it was amazing ministry that I received. I talked to Susie about children's ministry, and she was talking to Kent and Dave Selvig and working through what they're going to do. There is just ministry happening in this church all week long. And we really need all hands on deck. So I leave you with this question. How are we to experience the ministry of Jesus in our lives if we don't do the work of his ministry? Without God, we cannot. But without us, God will not. Would you pray with me? God, we lift ourselves up to you as you uh, call to us. It's an invitation for us to participate in the ministry of this church as we continue to press forward in the work of revitalization. Empower us all, we pray. Give us really clear and compelling thoughts this week so that by, even by next week, we will be able to say yes and amen to something you have for us to do here in this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.